So many owners open their shops with the dream of doing auto repair the right way, being an asset to their community, having free time with their families, and having the ability to create a financial legacy. In reality, so many find themselves working long days, are struggling to find and keep good staff, and can barely pay the bills. Since 2016, the fastest growing automotive repair coaching company, ShopFix Academy's sole purpose is to stop the average small business from destroying the average family. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com. You know, in a business deal, it only matters what's in writing. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter your friendship or the fact if he's your dad or your son. It only matters what's in writing. This is Success Leaves Clues, an automotive industry podcast, and I'm your host, Thomas Hayes. In shop ownership, sometimes we make mistakes. We experience failures and we're presented with challenges. Some of these hurt a little, but some create massive pain for us and those connected to us. As leaders in our shops, these circumstances are ultimately our responsibility. Our guest, Joe Vallon of Auto Safety Center in Wisconsin, has experienced the full weight of this concept firsthand with a bad business deal that almost closed his shop. In this episode, Joe will share the intimate details of what happened and more importantly, how he came out on top. Joe's story is powerful and you don't want to miss any of it. So stay tuned. An effective online presence is a critical part of your shop's growth and profitability, which is why it only makes sense to use the company that many top performing repair shops use for managing their online presence, Leads Near Me. Leads Near Me effortlessly increases your car count with a strategic combination of killer websites, high converting Google ads, traffic driving social media posts, and more. Reach them by text or call at 888-953-2379 or visit them online at leadsnearme.com. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. Joe, really happy to have you today. Thanks for being on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Uh, Joe, I've known you for a long time. You have some incredible stories. You have an incredible history. You run a great shop, but a lot of folks, if they don't know who you are, um, who are you? So my name is Joe Valland, and I own a auto repair shop in uh, beautiful West Bend, Wisconsin. Um, and uh, I've, I got into the industry in, uh, in 1995 when I was 17 years old. Um, right in high school, I was working in the shop that I now own. Um, sweeping floors, doing tires, uh, doing alignments, that kind of stuff. Um, I was able to uh, purchase the shop in 2005 um, from my boss, and uh, I've been uh, uh, operating the business ever since. Fantastic. Uh, so tell us a little bit about your shop currently. Uh, what, what, what are things looking like right now? Sure. So when I bought the shop, we were in a three bay, 1900 square foot gas station, old gas station. We didn't have pumps anymore. Um, in ground lifts, very small um, bay space. Parking was horrible, uh, but it was a great spot to uh, to kind of um, 
learn and, and figure out this auto repair business. I had been a technician for a while. Um, and uh, so, yeah, that was good, but we, we didn't have a bright future there. Um, again, not a lot of space for parking. Um, it was an old outdated facility. I didn't buy the building when I bought the shop. Um, so we looked for a spot to move and we found that spot in uh, 2012, at the end of 2012, moved in in January of 2013 to our current facility, which is 8,200 square feet. Um, currently have nine bays. We have about 1,800 square feet of office space. Uh, really was a dream facility for us. And um, yeah, it took a long time uh, to, to get it to capacity. Uh, we spent a lot of years just underperforming in this space. Um, but uh, we kind of turned the corner and, uh, and got it to where it needs to be. So That's fantastic. What kind of numbers are you pulling right now? Well, we are, we are tracking about 3 million for this year. Um, and uh, yeah, last year we did 2.2. Year before that, we, during COVID 2020, we did 1.5. So uh, definitely been on a great growth path and, and it's been exciting. Um, every year we do more than we did the year before. And I know at some point, and that's probably going to be close to uh, 2023, we're going to meet the capacity of this building. And and that'll be a little bit new for us, not being able to uh, grow five, seven hundred, eight hundred thousand dollars $800,000 in a year. Yeah. And that'll be a, a whole new set of fun challenges. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, you have one store right now. Um, I would like to actually talk about, I know that at one point you had two stores. I did. I did. Can we talk about that story? I think it would be really cool to, uh, maybe cool is not the right word. I, I think it's gonna be really powerful to talk about that story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, the, uh, it was a definitely an impactful part of my life. Um, those 14 months where I had that second store. So it's a, it's a great topic. Learned a lot. Yeah. Uh, so let's, let's kind of dive into that. Why, okay. Why did you decide to open a second store? What what were the circumstances? Yeah. No. That's that's a great question because, you know, I just shared that we had we had nine bays. This was 2017 when this happened. So we had been out here for five years. Um, we were doing 750 thousand in sales out of 8,200 square feet. I only had five lifts in the building, and then I had a whole I had like 1,800 square feet of like cold storage, you know, flat bay space, and I guess what really triggered it was I felt like I was at the peak of the market. We had a very good competitor in town. They had two locations. They were doing a lot of things right. And I, I figured I would always be a number two and an opportunity came, um, through a friend of mine, a friend of mine had purchased a, a, a building, um, used, uh, auto repair shop. He got it, I think in foreclosure or auction or whatever. And he was going to try to flip the space. He was going to try to flip the property. He didn't get any takers in that. And it finally got to the point where he's like, well, I'm just going to start an auto repair shop. How hard can it be? And, <laughs> and you know, try to make ends meet this way for a while. Well, he found out how hard it was. Um, in eight months, he didn't make any money. And it was just, you know, it, 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 it's tough it, if you don't know what you're doing. He came from outside the industry. Um, we had a friendship prior to that. And so when I heard that he was launching his, uh, his repair shop, I reached out to him and said, Hey, if there's anything you need from me, I'd love to get together and, 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 you know, you can pick my brain or whatever. So we started to develop this relationship and over the course of, you know, meeting with him, I, I just threw out there, I said, yeah, you know, um, it's in my five-year plan to, to open a second store. 
And it was like two or three months later, he sends me a text and he's like, I know you said five years, but would you be interested in buying my store? And it kind of came at the right moment where I was thinking, you know, what, what does this market have for me anymore? I think I reached the top, which, which was a lie. It wasn't true at all. Um, and, and I, I started to explore that as an option. And this was the same year that we had purchased our building. So, I mean, I was already, I already laid the cash out for that. So I, I didn't have a lot of cash stored up. So we had to kind of get creative with the way that we structured this deal. Uh, but it also meant that I didn't have any like good savings or reserves, which obviously came into play later. Um, but he was a friend of mine. Um, we, we kind of got a handshake deal, um, and decided to move forward. I think, um, we came to terms in September of 2017 and November 1st, I took over, um, at that, at that location. So, so what was it like one day having one shop, the next day having two, you're now a multi-store owner. Like, what did that feel like in that moment? Well, I think, I think in this industry, I mean, you have some milestones that people really puff their chest up about, you know, the first one is probably, um, you know, a million dollar a year store, you know, that's a big one, a hundred thousand dollar month. That's a big one. Um, MSO being a multi-store owner, that's a big one too, you know, and I, I felt great. I mean, you know, I, I felt like, Hey, I'm, I'm going somewhere. This is a new experience for me. Um, and it felt it felt like a, a great milestone. However, that feeling of greatness came to an end pretty dang quick when literally um, we went in after I signed the paperwork and he made the announcement to his staff of three people. He had, he had a manager writer. He had a, an A-level an technician who could bill a lot of hours and he had like a loop technician. And I walked in there with him into the shop and he just made the announcement and the draw, jaws just dropped. Like they couldn't believe it. Here, here they helped this guy get the, the shop going. It had been eight months in existence. Get the shop going, blood, sweat, and tears. And they kind of felt, they kind of felt like, you know, they, he was moving on and they were staying. And it was, I, I realized really quickly that I needed to try to um, get them to stay because they were, they were kind of upset, um, taken off guard. Um, and, and the main technician I wasn't able to keep, he worked for me. For 10 days and then he left um and he left to take a job that paid him i think it was seven or ten dollars less an hour flat rate wow so w right out the gate we had challenges um i was able to the writer manager um he was able to uh he decided to stay on i found another technician which wasn't uh nearly at the same level as the guy that we lost but at least we filled that um and i was committed to you know turning making this, making this make sense, making it work. Um, so I put a lot of time in, um, and focus into store two. Now store two was 50 minutes away from store one. And it was in a different, it was obviously in a different demographic, but it was in a different labor market. Right. So my West Bend store is probably 20, 30 minutes from Milwaukee. So I would pull a lot of my labor pool from that market. Um, this store was probably an hour and a half away from Milwaukee. So I would pull nobody. And so any connections that I had made over my, you know, 15 years in this business, I couldn't really use because nobody wanted to drive up there. Um, so it was a different market. All my, my employees, it was hard to get, you know, any employees from store one to try to get them to store two. It was a big commute. And so that really wasn't an option. So I, I found myself with my toolbox 
up at store two turning wrenches to kind of help out. And, and that is a bad spot to be in when you have multi stores. Um, I did that for a while. Um, and I, I hired a technician, so I was able to get out of that. And then my writer manager gave me his notice at store two. And he, he gave me four weeks cause he's a nice guy. And uh, I said, okay, well, no big deal. I'll go ahead and uh, I'll work the counter. I have the technician figured out. Um, he's here now, so I'll work the counter and we'll, you know, we'll try to get a, a manager in place. And at the end of those four weeks, he left. And I believe it was three days after that, my manager from store one calls me and I'm driving home from store two. And he says, I'm calling you to give my notice. Oh. And I'm like, dude, you can't, you can't be serious right now. Is this a joke? You know, and I didn't say it like that, but this is what I'm feeling, you know, and yeah. even now just mentioning it, I can feel the anxiety rising up because we, we didn't have any coverage down there. When I took on store two, I had a, I had him, my manager writer, and then I had a service advisor. The service advisor quit at the end of November. And I talked to my manager. I said, Hey, do I need to hire somebody? Are you okay? He's like, yeah, we're going into slow season. It's okay. That was a bad idea. That was a bad mistake. I didn't hire anybody and I, and he didn't want to be the manager. I think that's what it kind of boiled down to. He, he was able to, he pursued something outside the industry. I wasn't able to keep him. So for a brief moment, I was on the counter at store two and I was going to have to be at the counter at store one. And it was like the worst, like week and a half of my life because I'm like, I can't do both places. And, um, so thankfully somebody came along. So I was able to hurry hire. If you've ever hurry hired somebody, you know, you basically just want to make sure that they have a pulse that they can show up and they can answer the phone. I mean, that's literally, he was a great manager. Um, not really a great salesperson, but I was able to get somebody in there. I trained him through zoom because I had to be at store one. Um, and, um, they're yeah. a pioneer. Yeah. Pioneer. That's right. You know, you know, it's funny you use that term because pioneers are the ones with the arrows in the back. So yes, I was a pioneer and I got, I got the arrow marks on my back to prove it. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so that was pretty rough. Um, and, and here's the lesson that I learned in all that. I learned that, you know, when you go to a second store and you expand, you have to be able to duplicate, you have to be able to double, you have to, you have to have human capital. And that's something that through my 14 months at that second store, we never really had was human capital. And uh, we always were lean either at store one or store two. Um, and we just didn't really have a, a good amount of, of human capital. So, um, yeah, um, what, what I ended up doing um, a couple months later, I took a technician. Here's another bad idea. Take a technician from store one that, you, that does a really good job of moving to store two. And now you basically took, you know, a store that was doing decent and you're cutting it by moving that technician. And I only had three techs an A-tech, a B-tech, and a lube tech. And I took the B-tech. So we're down to an A-tech and a lube tech now at store one. And I got a, I got a B-tech and a lube tech at store two. And um, so sales dropped both stores. Um, it was, uh, yeah, I started losing a lot of money. What did that feel like? Like what, what was happening personally to you during this time? Well, um, It was definitely, definitely a challenge. And there was, there was a, there was a period of time there where I went to my buddy and 
you know, it only ma- in a in a business deal, it only matters what's in writing. It doesn't matter how you feel. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter your friendship or the fact if he's your dad or your son. It only matters what's in writing. And because we were friends, I did not take that writing seriously. Because we were friends, I figured if things went south, if things got really hard, you know, we can come back to the table and work through it. And and that was my perception because of our friendship. His perception was, you know, whatever's in writing is what we're going to go by. That's the gospel. And so we got behind in some tough times. And I remember meeting with him looking for some concessions like, listen, it's been it's been five months. I've been able to make my payments to you um, because I was it was an owner finance deal ish. Not necessarily that, but I was paying the, the previous owner and I'm like, hey, can you help me out? And he's like, you know, in writing, we have this, we have this deal. And he wasn't, he wasn't willing at that point to like renegotiate and help, help me out. He's like, you signed this, you agreed to it. If you had any issues, you should have brought that up on the front end. And that makes perfect sense. But because we were friends, I just said, we can, we have a relationship that's going to be thicker than these words in this contract. And I didn't study the contract as much as I should have. So, um, so there was some, there was some anger, some animosity that I felt because of that. I'm like, dude, I've been paying you, you know, you're making more money now than you did when, when you had it, your stress levels will help me out. And he just didn't help me out the way that I, I felt like he should have. Um, but he was just honoring the deal. I shouldn't have looked at it as, um, you know, I should have just looked at it as what the writing said, not the way I felt. So, um, I was a little frustrated with that. Um, I mean, I was I was working as hard as I've ever worked, um, trying to run two stores when they're both dumpster fires. Um, you know, it just never it never ended. I I had joined a co- coaching company right after I bought these two shops just to get some help because I'm like, man, I'm going to need it. Um, and there are so many people in the group that were starting to see results from implementing some of these systems and these processes. But I didn't have any time to implement anything because I was putting out fires all the time. I was going from store one to put out a fire to store two. And we finally get things, you know, kind of extinguished. And they were they were never really out. They were just smoldering. And so I would be able to say, okay, we're going to start doing this. And next thing you know, full-blown fire again. And it just, it just really was hard to implement any change that we needed. Um, and the other thing, too, is that looking back on it, you know, when you have a successful first store, you kind of have a model for success. I wouldn't necessarily consider my store at that point very successful because I was still very much involved and, and I didn't really know what success looked like for, or what, what it could lead to. Um, and so I just thought, well, store, you know, store one, when I started, it was a rocky start. I didn't know what I was doing. So this is all normal for having a second store. And, and it really isn't, um, you, you can do it the right way and you don't have to take some of the hard lessons. Um, that I had to take because I did it the wrong way. Did you know that some web design companies use the same wording across all their client sites? Unfortunately, this common practice is noted by Google as plagiarism, which will cause your site to be ranked lower. That's why it's critical that whoever makes your shop's website knows better. That's why so many top shops trust leads near me to create and manage their shop's websites. As Google Certified Partners, they know how to make a top-ranking website from an insider's perspective. 
Get a free site analysis by visiting leadsnearme.com or calling 888-953-2379. Leads Near Me, effortlessly increase car count. What happened next? So, um, we, let's see, it would have been, let's see, I bought it November 17, um, November of 18. Um, yeah, it had been a year. It had been a rough year. Um, still weren't staffed where I needed to be. I had a good manager at store one now. Um, so that was a blessing. Um, but I was still really lacking on the technician side of things. Um, and I remember it was early December and I was stopping at store two on my way up north. We we're going to do some ice fishing, which is a very popular activity here in Wisconsin. And my manager at the time at store two gave me his notice and he says, uh, you know, I'm going to be moving on. And that was kind of like the last straw because I was like, I, I didn't have a really solid technician. Um, I had, I had a manager, he was giving his notice and I just didn't have the, the, the uh, human capital to keep on going. And so at that point I was kind of starting to think about maybe exiting um, that second store, but there's a whole bunch of stuff that, that really made that decision hard. You know, what made the decision hard was like pride and ego because you don't want to admit that you made a mistake. You don't want to admit that it didn't work out. You don't want to admit that you couldn't do it because there are naysayers in the beginning that says like, he's not going to make it. He's not going to do it. He's not, he, he's going to fail. And, you know, here I am facing this failure and it was like the, the ego and the pride, you know, kind of gets in the way of making a rational decision. Um, you know, decisions should be made on tactical advantage. And once that's gone, you know, then you're just making decisions based on per- preserving your pride. Um, so thankfully I had a, I had a couple of group of guys in my life that, uh, that got together and, uh, they, they made a conference call to me. And I'll never forget that day in, uh, in December where, uh, where they called and I was sitting in a loaner car. Um, and, uh, and we had a, a 20 minute conversation and, and they, they basically, as I was sitting there, they basically said, um, you know, Joe, you need a miracle for the second store to, to pan out. And if you don't do something, it's going to cause store one to fail. And, and I said, you know, that's great because I serve a God of miracles and, I, and I'm a Christian. And so whenever I had an opportunity for something business or whatever in life, and there was this fear factor, I always would say the same thing because every opportunity comes with risk, right? If we're going to do something, there's always some kind of risk. So there's always a little, little level, level of faith that needs to be exercised. But whenever an opportunity came, I would always say, Lord, if you open the door, I'll have the faith to walk through it. And, and he did that when I, when I started store one, you know, making 15.50 an hour, my wife staying at home with our one child, you know, we, we didn't have a whole lot of money, but we made it work. We put in the work and we made it, we made it work. Um, and when I bought my building, there was a lot of things that, that, uh, uh, that turned my way to make that happen. There was some risk, but it was working out. And I thought that this situation was going to be the same, just like all those others, you know, Lord, you didn't open up this door for failure you opened up this door for opportunity, just like you did these other, these other times. And, and so I had this mindset that because the Lord's in it, I can't fail. 
he didn't destined me for failure. And, and so I had to get, I had to, I had to struggle through that, Thomas. And, and really what it came down to the, where the rubber meets the road on this is Joe, you have a huge amount of faith that this is going to work out the second store. What if you took that amount of faith and put it into closing down that second store and making store one the way that it needs to be? If you can trust him, you know, to um, make store two a success, why can't you trust him to shut it down and focus on store one? Because really it's just faith either way. And, and, you know, it took a couple of days to work through that, but finally I made the decision that is, Hey, it's going to be in my best interest to, uh, to, to close store two and to walk away. So I made the phone call to my friend and just said, Hey, I think it's best if I exit out. Um, and, um, and he immediately rightly so looked at me as a liability. And the way the contract was written is that he can take back the store and the rights and everything um, very quickly. And um, so I think he gave me two weeks to get my stuff out and he was going to take the store back over. Uh, basically, it's kind of like an eviction. Um, and uh, I had two weeks to get all my stuff out. So nobody knew at this time in store one, this is what I was planning on doing. Um, so I, I remember... I remember being up at store two, my bookkeeper knew, and she called me and she says, Hey, Joe, I know that you're hiring somebody at store one. They are up in arms about you bringing another technician in. You got a mutiny down here. You need to come down here today and get this sorted out because the wheels are falling off. And, um, and I appreciated that call. So I drove down um, and we had a meeting after, after work and my, my shop foreman, he's standing there, his arms are crossed. He's leaning up against his box and he's like, do you really think we need somebody else to to come in here? Do you think we have to? And he was, he was PO'd about it. And, and I kind of had just let him vent a little bit. And then I just said, okay, well, here's the reason behind my thinking. I'm closing store two. I'm coming back. We need to raise the sales of store one uh, because we're going to be closing store two. And again, everybody was like, they couldn't believe that I was closing store two and what was happening. Um, but uh, but at the end of the night, they trusted me. At the end of the night, they trusted me. And then and then my same shop foreman came up to me the next day and he says, I'm really sorry for saying what I said. Now I know why, but I think it's going to be really good. I think it's going to be really good that you come back and, and we're going to get this place rocking. Because we were only doing 700 and I think 700,000, you know, we had dropped. And um, we had nine bays or we had 8,200 square feet. I mean, come on. The capacity alone in this building is like 3 million, you know? Um, so I closed the store down and, um, or I, I should say I got evicted and I came back and, um, and we just started to really focus on, on store one. Um, you know, here's a couple things, a couple things. When I left store two, because it was in writing, I had personally guaranteed that lease for 10 years. So I, I was supposed to pay him my lease payment every month. And I personally guaranteed it for 10 years. It was a lot of money, Thomas, a lot of money. Uh, but because of our friendship, we were able to negotiate that down to something that wasn't as expensive. It still hurt to pay it, but the bigger picture was it was better than what the lease had indicated. So, um, we had to work through that for a few months. Store one wasn't doing really good. 
Um, so we were behind on, on parts bills, collection calls were happening. Um, we have, we have uh, uh, a phone system where you can, where, you know, it gets rid of all the, the junk robocallers. So it says, thank you for calling, uh, blah, blah, blah. Press one for service, press two for um, accounting, you know? And so the accounting line used to go to my, my store manager, my writer manager, but because we were getting so many collection calls, I stopped it and I went to my cell phone. So I started to try to take those calls so they wouldn't know um, all the everybody calling about, hey, getting money. But sometimes they found out anyway, because what would happen would be the, the, they would place an order and then that store would call and say, yeah, you're, you're over your limit. You're behind. We can't send you this part. So my staff was trained to say, well, if we write you a check, can you send it? Sometimes that would work. Sometimes it wouldn't work. Sometimes we have to go to a different vendor. Sometimes I would say, hey, we can't order from this vendor. We can get it from this vendor today. Hopefully I can pay them. And we were just like riding this revolving door of what vendor can we get parts from? Um, so it was really tough um, coming back to the store and, and, and going through that. Um, I remember there is a, uh, there is a vendor in the industry that everybody knows that um, will give you um, equipment if you use their products. And I was behind on my payments for their products. And they came in one day, I didn't know this. Well, and because I was behind, they repoed all of their equipment in front of my whole staff. They, they have two vans in the back. They park back there, they walk through the back door and then they start wheeling this stuff out right in front of my technicians. And they're like, what's going on? You know, they knew who it was and they're like, what's going on? And so then the guy comes in and he's in my office and he's like, yeah, we just repoed all your equipment. You're behind on your, on your bill and we can't have that sitting here. And I'm like, time out. Um, I had a second store. We were never had an account with you, but I paid cash for everything. I have all this extra product. What if I were to return this product and apply that money towards my bill? Would that work? Oh, Hold on. 20 minutes later, it comes back. Yeah, that'll work. And they bring all the equipment back into the shop. But here's the thing. As a leader, you have to deal with that. Yeah. You have to deal with that. When, when your staff, they already know things are a little bit shaky, and then they see stuff getting like removed from the building, you know that you have to deal with it. You have to address it. And so I did with my, we had a, had a meeting right after they left. I told them exactly what, what they were doing, told them exactly what happened. I told them my thought, you know, that I, I was hoping to have this conversation with them before they just removed my equipment. Um, but again, they trusted me and they believed in me. They believed that, you know, we had something special and we were gonna, we're gonna get through it. And, and uh, you know, that's a credit to my crew um, that they believed in me, but it also made me a better leader. You know, they say com C's don't make for good sailors. And we definitely weren't in any com C's. So this was, this was teaching me how to lead through adversity because that's when a true leader shines, not when, not when things are going real smooth and easy. It's during these moments that really you start to learn how, how to lead. Um, and it was through that, through that time of collection calls, vendor repos, all that stuff, which lasted probably the better part of four or five months before we got on top of it. Um, we started to grow car count. We started to add technicians and we could finally start to you know, get out of the hole that, uh, that I'd put us in. So, um, you know, that was, 
that was one of the things that I had learned. Um, the other thing, and I think Ed already alluded to this a little bit, but, you know, I was so convinced that, that God had opened this door for success. Um, but in reality, he opened the door for failure. Um, he opened the door because failure can be our best teacher. Um, failure, I learned things that I wouldn't have learned any other way. Um, I wouldn't have learned how to how to lead the way that I did. I got a great education on being a multi-store owner, what it takes, human capital, uh, financial capital, having reserves, having systems that are easy to train and teach, having systems for onboarding, having a way, you know, having a bench of employees. Those are all things that I learned that I wouldn't have learned through the failure. I wouldn't be able to, you know, share this story, um, you know, in the impactful way that it is, if it would have been a success, I feel like the story is important because it wasn't a success. And you look at all the great entrepreneurs and a lot of them have a failure story. A lot of them struggle. I mean, um, Steve Jobs, he got fired from Apple. They fired him. He was the founder of Apple. They fired him. And then he spent, I think it was like 10 years working somewhere else. And then he came back. And what happened? He freaking blew it up. He learned in those 10 years what he needed to do to make Apple a success in those other years. And it's those types of things that motivate me because I'm like, this is just what happens. You, you take a risk, you fail, you learn. It's called failing forward. And you, and you keep growing your skills. And one of my technicians in 2019, it was, it was one of those days. I think we had a, a line blow on a hoist. We had another hoist go down. We had equipment failure. We had, you know, a comeback that was catastrophic. I mean, all these things happened in one day, super stressful. And, and that technician goes, man, it's days like today. I, I, I'm glad I'm not an owner and have to deal with all that. And I just kind of laughed at him. I said, dude, if you knew the amount of stress that I was under when I had these two stores, today's a cakewalk. And it was at that moment I realized that I had leveled up and what I can handle, what kind of stress I can handle, because that didn't kill me. That didn't didn't knock me down. It was just like, okay, we can deal with this. We'll call this we'll get this fixed. We'll do this. Um, we'll, we'll have a frank conversation with the customer and we'll own it and, and everything will be okay. But right there, I realized that that probably would have brought me to my knees and really would have made my attitude horrible, you know, a couple of years ago. So, um, and then, you know, the third thing that I learned was um, responding versus reacting in a situation. So a lot of times something bad happens and we can have a reaction. Reaction is not what you want. You want to have a response. A response is premeditated. You think about it and it's, it's tactical. A reaction is like um, if there's a bee in the car and you're trying to get away from you and you're just reacting and you're, you know, swinging around, you know, that's a reaction. Um, you know, maybe a response would be not to be moving around and endangering everybody that's in your car, but just rolling the window down a little bit and trying to see if you can't get that bee to get sucked out, you know? Um, so the, the event, something that happens to us, plus our response equals the outcome. And the event we may not have control of, but, but what do we do have control of? We have the control of our response and that's half of the outcome. So we have 50% of the outcome is in our control with how we respond. We can respond well, and have a favorable outcome, we can respond poorly and have a not so favorable outcome. One of those things for me in this situation was taking complete responsibility for my decisions. You know, there's a picture that I go to when I tell this story 
And it was when my friend and I were closing at the attorney's office and there's handshakes and smiles. And I look at that picture and I realize I signed up for this. I agreed for this. I chose to put my friendship and my relationship above that contract and look at the smile on my face and look at the fact that I'm shaking his hands. I did this to me. It's not his fault. I did this to me. I took complete responsibility. And, and if I was bitter, that only is going to hurt myself. It's not going to hurt him. It's going to hurt me. It's going to poison my internal being um, because that's really what, what bitterness is. You know, I agreed to this deal. It was, it was me who signed up for it. I had to take responsibility for it. Oftentimes we think we don't, you know, we can put our focus on the other person and say, he took me for a ride. He took advantage of me. He did this. He did that. Um, and that's, that, that feels good to say it, Thomas, but it prevents you from actually moving forward because you, you're solely focused on, on what that person did to you, not what you, not your part of it. And it feels good, but it doesn't really get you where you need to go. If you can say, hey, I did this, it was my fault, you take ownership of it. What do we need to do so this doesn't happen again? Or what do we need to do to step forward to get out of this hole? So that was, uh, that was a, a third thing that I had learned. Joe, your, your story is incredible because you, know, you, you took this situation that could have taken a lot of people out and you leaned into it, you pushed through, and you know you are now an incredible leader, an incredible business person, an incredible father, friend. Like you grew through this situation. Mm-hmm. Think about uh, for a second, you know, the, the guy that's in your shoes, you know, when you were in that really just dark, heavy spot. What's the first thing that you would tell that person to do? The first thing that I tell that person to do is to realize that this isn't happening to you, it's happening for you. Everything we go through happens to us for a reason. It happens to us to grow us. Um, Because when when does growth happen? Growth doesn't happen when we're comfortable and we're sitting there. Growth happens when we struggle, right? I mean, if you go to the gym and you you, you wanna grow muscles, you know, you can't just lift five pounds every day and just keep, keep doing that, you know, 10 reps or whatever. You have to start stressing your muscles. You have to start trying and grinding it out for those last two, training the failure. And it's those moments where you start growing. It's same like if you want to run and be, you know, run a marathon or whatever, you have to keep going farther and farther and farther and faster and faster. So you keep growing. Um, and, and sometimes these events come at us because the Lord is trying to grow something in us. And we're like, whoa, where did this come? It came out of left field. Well, he has us going through this for a reason. Um, and the other thing I'll say is it's a season. We all go through, you know, seasons of sowing, seasons of reaping, and those seasons prepare us for what's coming next. The, uh, the other thing that I think I really wanted to share regarding this whole situation, you know, a lot of times when we go through things, it really matters the lens and the perspective that we view it. Mm-hmm. So sometimes the, the, this perspective is, is bad and negative. How can you turn that into a positive? So for me, what I did in this situation, I had to pay back some debt to the, to my friend and, and that last check I wrote, I looked at it as this is a tuition. Um, this is a payment for an education. So I wrote that check out and I mailed it. And then I went on Amazon and I ordered myself a cap and gown and I ordered myself a homemade uh, um, 
diploma, which is super expensive. If you try to make a diploma, I mean, it's, it's pretty expensive, but I, I felt confident in it. So I made, I made a diploma and I basically said, Hey, I graduated from uh, the, the, the business school of multi-shop ownership. And I had this diploma on my wall. It's made up from a fake university. Um, it's a picture of my wife and I and this, me in this cap and gown holding the diploma. And um, it, it, it just framed it like this wasn't a failure, but this was a season of learning. This is my, my education. And it cost me X amount of dollars, but look at, look at where I am now. And so for me, that's what I remember about the situation, not necessarily the failure side, but just what I gained from that experience. And, um, you know, some people pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to, uh, to go to university. I didn't have to pay half of that. So Joe, what's next for you? So, um, everybody always asks me, cause I've shared this story a couple of times. Are you ever going to go to get a second store again? And my response had always been, well, I'm focusing on the capacity of store one. And um, we're pretty close to capacity right now. We're tracking about 3 million. Um, so what's next for me? Uh, I have a letter of intent signed on a second location. So oh, congratulations. I'm getting back on the bike. Woo! <laughs> That's huge, brother. Mm-hmm. Wow. How does that feel? Scary. Um, yeah. it, it feels scary, but then I have to realize that because it brings all this stuff up from the past, you know, but I have to realize that I'm not the same person that I was back then. Back then I did it because I was hoping to save store one uh, by being able to have a second store to to bring a little bit more money. And right now I'm looking at it as store one stands by itself. So this is just another opportunity. Um, I, you know, I'm looking forward to, uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to uh, to growing my team and my team's behind it. Um, we have, you know, a few hurdles to overcome, but uh, yeah, it's, I, I learned a lot from the first time around that I can implement the second time around. So first time around, I had I didn't know anything about demographics. You know, we went into a median income of 48,000. Um, and so the demographics at this, at this other location that we're under uh, contract on is way better than that. Um, it's way closer to home. Um, so, um, and I think the opportunity is a lot better. So I'm excited about it. I'm excited for you, man. I, I can't wait to see what happens. Yeah, me too. One last question. If you were a car, what kind of car would you be? Man, that is a, uh, that is a tough question. If I was a car, what kind of car I would, would I be? Um, man, I feel like I, I feel like I would be something that's reliable, not too flashy. Um, and just, just a runner, you know, I feel like I would be, and this is going to date me, but back in, uh, back in the nineties, we used to, cause we're in Wisconsin. So we have tough winters up here. So we had nice cars that we would drive in the summer and winter beaters. And uh, one of the best winter beaters you could get would be an Oldsmobile Cutlass Sierra. It had a 2.5 liter, the Iron Duke, we nice. called it. And that thing would just keep running and running. And, and it, it was like bulletproof. It wasn't flashy. It wasn't, you know, great, but it was just consistently reliable. And that's kind of what I would hope to be, not flashy, but just consistently reliable. Maybe on the, maybe on the side of boring, um, but, uh, but definitely uh, consistent and reliable would be uh, 
be the way to go. So. Well, Joe, thank you so much for this conversation. It's been really good to hear more of your story. And I feel like a lot of people are going to be really blessed and helped through this. Thank you. You're welcome. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. I love to tell the story. I've, I've said it before that uh, while I was going through all this struggle, I remember sitting there thinking, uh, Lord, you write the story and I'll be faithful to tell it. And he wrote a good one. I mean, it, it, it's an amazing story and uh, I'm, I'm thankful to see uh, how it's going to uh, play out five, ten years from now. That was my interview with Joe Valley. I want this show to serve and impact as many people in our industry as possible. So to help me on that mission, please leave us a review, subscribe to the show, and tell others about us. If you'd like to contact me, you can email me at thomas at slcautopodcast.com or call 615-656-8804. Thanks. Have a great week. No two shops are the same. That's why cookie cutter advice and coaching does not work. In order for your shop to get to the next level, you must have an action plan designed around your shop's unique needs. You'll also need accountability and encouragement along the way. Let ShopFix Academy help you create your best shop. Call 615-645-3683 to speak to someone on their leadership team about seeing if ShopFix Academy is a good fit for your shop. Learn more at shopfixacademy.com.